So I don't know about you guys, but I watched a lot of the Tokyo Olympics. And living in Israel, it's a really big deal. One of the best moments of watching the Olympics for me this year was seeing Israeli gymnast Artyom Dolgopiat win the gold medal, becoming only the second Israeli ever to take home an Olympic gold. Not only was it powerful to hear Hatikva being played at the Olympics, which gets me every time, but the Israeli government even took a break from their weekly cabinet meeting to cheer on Artyom and to call him and wish him a mazel tov. Pretty epic. But just as Israel was starting to celebrate its newest sports hero, the story about Artyom's victory evolved into a totally different conversation about Israel's marriage laws. Hi, I'm Avi Posen. And I'm Sarah Himmelis. And in an interview with an Israeli radio station, Artyom's mother, Angela Balan, lamented that her son is not allowed to marry his girlfriend of three years in Israel because he's not Jewish according to traditional Jewish law. See, Israel's law of return grants automatic citizenship to anyone who has a Jewish grandparent. However, marriage in Israel is controlled by the chief rabbinate. And according to their rules, only those who have a Jewish mother and Orthodox converts are Jewish. Only Artyom's father's side is Jewish. Balan's comments sparked a renewed debate over marriage laws in Israel, and a question that Israelis have always grappled with. Who is a Jew? Is a Jew someone whose mother is Jewish, as traditional Jewish law defines it? Someone who has a Jewish grandparent? Or someone who celebrates Jewish holidays and merely feels connected with Judaism? In light of the current conversation in Israel, we're unpacking how did Israel's current marriage laws come about? And how are Israelis reacting to our team's situation? All right, so let's go back in time for some context here. The roots of Israel's marriage laws go back to the beginning of the Jewish state, when a debate emerged over what the Jewish character of the new country would mean. Was Judaism a religion like Christianity and Islam? Or was it a nation like the Germans or the French? What would the character of the Jewish state be? How would Judaism be expressed? Through some sort of standards of kashrut? What would the education system look like? What would Shabbat look like in the Jewish state? As you might imagine, members of the Haredi Agudat Israel movement wanted to preserve religious observance in a largely secular Zionist society. Even though soon-to-be Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion wasn't particularly religious or excited about this, he agreed to their request in order to present a united front ahead of the UN's partition plan vote. This became known as the Status Quo Agreement, which includes the following. Number one, Shabbat would be a national day of rest for the Jews, with Christians and Muslims having their own days. Number two, Kashrut would be observed under state auspices. Number three, religious courts, Jewish for Jews, Christian for Christians, and Muslim for Muslims would decide aspects of personal status, such as marriage, divorce, and burial. And number four, religious educational systems, which already exist, would be recognized by the Jewish state, even if they didn't meet government standards. Okay, so let's dive a little into the marriage piece here. When it comes to marriage in Israel, Israeli citizens can only marry through the religious courts of their communities. In other words, Jews must marry through the Rabbanut or the Rabbinate, 
while Muslims, Catholics, and Druze, for example, must get married through their own respective religious courts, all of which are funded by the state, by the way. That's why anyone who's not considered Jewish by the chief rabbinate, along with gay and lesbian couples, non-Orthodox converts to Judaism, and various others, can't get married in Israel. To work around this, many couples actually travel outside the country in order to have a civil marriage, which is then recognized by the state when they get home. Although religious courts do preside over marriage and family matters in many other countries in the Middle East, this arrangement is totally uncommon in Western-style democracies. Nechama Goldman Barash, an educator at the Matan and Pardes Institutes, explained in a Jerusalem Post op-ed that, quote, marriage in Western democracies is a civil, not a religious matter. She referenced the Universal Declaration of Human Rights adopted by the UN General Assembly in 1948, which states that men and women of full age without any limitation due to race, nationality, or religion have the full right to marry and to found a family. They are entitled to equal rights as to marriage, during marriage, and at its dissolution. So how do Israelis feel about this? A majority of Israelis actually favor a change to the country's marriage laws and the rabbinate's monopoly over religious issues. According to a new survey by the Hidush Association for Religious Freedom and Equality, 65% of Jewish Israelis support the introduction of civil marriage in Israel. But opponents of civil marriage argue that this would dilute Israel's Jewish character. Goldman Barash explained the rationale behind this view, quote, For the Jewish people, marriage historically has defined and sustained the homogeneity of the Jewish people. Supervision of marriage, divorce, conversion, and religious identity by the state rabbinical court maintains this homogeneity. She added that keeping marriage and divorce under the control of the Orthodox rabbinate allays the concern that women could remarry in violation of halakha with the spread of mamzerut, or children born from forbidden relationships, as a possible consequence, end quote. To address the concerns of couples who don't want to marry through the rabbinate, the Tsohar Rabbinical Organization offers an alternative marriage registration service that still meets the rabbinate's halakhic standards. Sohar founder and chair, Rabbi David Stav, told Israel Hayom, quote, We know very well that a large majority of Israeli couples, both religious and secular, will choose to have a halachic wedding if the process and experience are respectful of their needs and made accessible to them, end quote. Sohar has helped arrange over 60,000 wedding ceremonies since it was founded in 1996. Now, Avi, when we're talking about this issue, it's important to note that although Israelis tend to have strong opinions about the question of religion and state, it often gets overshadowed by other issues. A survey conducted by the Israel Democracy Institute in 2019 indicated that questions pertaining to religion and state are not a high priority when deciding who to vote for. The issues that take the lead are economic and social issues and security and foreign affairs. Just 15% of Jews marked religion and state as an extremely important issue. I'm actually going to a Tzohar wedding next week in Ashkelon. Special shout out to Robin and Or, Mazalto. So 
How did Israeli politicians react to this? Some Israeli politicians pledged they would take steps to change marriage laws in Israel and allow Artyom to get married in the country. Foreign Affairs Minister and Alternate Prime Minister Yair Lapid told the Jerusalem Post, quote, It's intolerable that someone can fight on our behalf in the Olympics, represent us, and win a gold medal, and not be able to get married in Israel. Similarly, Labor leader Mirav Michaeli said, quote, Just like we broke the kosher certification monopoly, the time has come to end the monopoly of marriage in Israel. Michaeli was referencing a government plan that was announced last month, super controversial of course, by Israel's religious affairs minister Matan Kahana to overhaul Israel's kosher certification industry. However, Haredi politicians such as Shas party leader Aryeh Derry expressed the opposite view, arguing that these proposed changes would end the Jewish character of the state. Derry told the Jerusalem Post, quote, Winning a medal doesn't make our tomb Jewish. Our laws are consistent. For 73 years, marriage in this country has been run by Jewish law, end quote. The current debate inspired by our tomb is a continuation of tensions between Haredi politicians and the new government since it took office two months ago. In response to the government's proposed reforms of the kosher certification industry last month, United Torah Judaism leader Moshe Gafni denounced Kahana, who announced the proposal, as Antiochus, the villain of the Hanukkah story who led a campaign to ban Judaism. I found it super interesting that Jerusalem Deputy Mayor Chaim Cohen of the Shas Party offered a totally different perspective. In an op-ed in the Haredi Weekly newspaper Mishpacha that was widely shared on social media, Cohen suggested the radical idea, maybe it's time for Israel's religious and state functions to separate. A separation between religion and state. He argued that, quote, if the two systems are separated, the state will have no say in halachic matters, and religious courts could have autonomy over their own system, free from the influence of Israel's secular institutions. Cohen explained that the religious courts are subordinate to some degree to the secular state system, and that their decisions can be appealed and revisited by Israel's Supreme Court. Cohen also argued that the current situation is ultimately harming public perceptions of the Haredi community. At the same time, the Haredi community does not use the state's religious functions because they don't meet their religious standards. Quote, We're seen as paternalistic and coercing our views on the public, even as we ourselves are uncomfortable with the existing situation. Meanwhile, some Orthodox rabbis in Israel, like Chaim Leiter, express their support for changing marriage laws to include people like Artum. In a Times of Israel blog post, Leiter argued, quote, these men and women know about Judaism, the holidays, and most importantly, what it means to throw their lot in with the Jewish people. They've served in the IDF and feel Jewish in their essence. It's high time that we treated them that way." End quote. We want to add a disclaimer here, though. We don't actually know whether our team identifies as Jewish. So while we appreciate the bigger point Rabbi Leiter is making, it's unclear if our team, quote, feels Jewish in his essence or not. Similarly, Yaakov Katz, editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post, argued in an op-ed that, quote, after 73 years of statehood, 
Israel still does not provide full rights to all of its citizens. Most people would read that and think about the Palestinians, but in this case, the reference is actually to the more than 300,000 Israeli citizens who live here in Israel, but can't get married because the chief rabbinate and orthodox halakha do not recognize them as Jewish." End quote. Katz concluded that marriage is supposed to be a basic right, adding that Artyom should be allowed to get married because he's an Israeli citizen. It's that simple. So what's the bottom line? Usually when we think about Israel's challenges, we go right to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But actually, we think that the conflict between different Jewish communities and between Israel's values as a Jewish and democratic state is perhaps Israel's most perilous challenge. For some, defining Jewish identity and who should be allowed to marry in Israel is of course based on Orthodox Jewish law. For others, Jewish identity is of course more broadly defined. Artum's marital situation, whether he liked this or not, was a jumping off point and the Jewish world is being given the challenge and the opportunity to come together to really rethink Jewish identity. For the sake of the relationship between Israeli and world Jewry and the entire Jewish community, we hope Jewish leaders interpret one another charitably and work towards solving these problems together. Instead of Jew versus Jew, we can become Jew with Jew. Thanks for listening. This episode was hosted by me, Sarah Himmelis. And me, Avi Posen. This Week Unpacked is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Make sure you don't miss future episodes by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the pod, rate and review This Week Unpacked and share it with your friends. We'd love to hear what you think. Shoot us an email at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. Also, check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related. And subscribe to all of our other podcasts too. I want to specifically recommend Unpacking Israeli History. Season 2 just dropped this week. I listened to episode 1 on the train the other day. It was amazing. Subscribe to that podcast right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 1 was about Operation Thunderbolt, the incredible covert military operation in 1976 when IDF commandos flew to Entebbe, Uganda in the middle of the night to rescue Israeli hostages. One of the most incredible rescue missions in history. Check it out and let us know what you think. You can also follow Unpacked on social media, on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. This episode was written by me, Sarah Himmelis, edited by Avi Posen and John Kunza, and audio engineered by Rob Perra. Rifki Stern is our producer, and Noam Weissman is the executive producer of This Week Unpacked. This episode was sponsored by the Jewish Federation of Delaware. Thank you for listening. See you next week.